I'm Neil Roberts and this is Dragon Heart. Hello and welcome to Dragon Heart. Thanks to Bill for hosting for all these weeks that I've not been here. And I am back. I am Che Long and I am joined by Bill Long and the Concrete Donkey himself, Mr. Disney's Mark Griffiths. Have Hello. We all, have we all recovered from Saturday? Because that was a a shock, wasn't it? No. Well, I, I've gone through my regular process whenever we lose badly of listening to great bands of the 80s mistakes, the bad tracks. And so I've been cleansing my soul by <laughs> listening to Synchronicity 2 by The Police non-stop since that day. A brilliant song, which is about a man who is really stressed, stressed by being in the rat race and also about a creature crawling from the, the, the bottom of a, a lock in Scotland. Um, and it's, it's as good as it sounds. And also contains the line, we have to shout to be heard over the, the, over the din of our Rice Krispies. So as you can imagine, a couple of days of that, and frankly, I don't even know what happened last Saturday. My mind's <laughs> jelly. Well, that sounds like a perfect way to get over it, Mark, i got to say. Bill, what, 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 what's, what's your go-to post-thrashing um, rituals? Um, uh, I, I don't know. It was a bit of a shock to the system because we haven't had a real thrashing, have we, in a, in a, in a while. You know, we've lost games, lost important games, but not, not like that. Um, I just played on FIFA and just smashed every team as, as by as many goals as I possibly could to try and erase the, the memory of, a, of the loss from my head. We should well, we should do a sort well, of um help group thing now rather than a podcast, shouldn't we? And just talk about <laughs> ways to survive bad results. Well, here here was oh go on. Here was my way. I went to the Wrexham Feast, uh, the food festival in town, and there was a Scotch egg, um, like bar sort of thing, <laughs> and I had a pulled pork Scotch egg. I had a black pudding Scotch egg, and I had the chorizo sausage. Scotch egg, and in pure anger, scoffed them all in one go, and they were delightful. I gotta say, the nicest Scotch egg I've had. I actually immediately forgot about the game as soon as I got that chorizo <laughs> Scotch egg was eaten. The triple, the triple crown of Scotch eggs. Um, <laughs> so, talk me through this because your traditional Scotch egg is boiled egg, sausage meat around it, and then bread comes on that. So, did yeah. those? Ingredients replaced the sausage meat. Yes, but they still had the breadcrumbs, so it still looked like a Scotch egg. I've got to ask you then. Fresh to order. Black pudding and chorizo, I get that. But how do you get pulled pork to hold the egg in place and maintain breadcrumbicity? I don't know. We'll have to ask the guys who made them because it was they were that one wasn't the best. I gotta say, it was good. It was really nice, and I, that was the one I was getting excited for the most. But the black pudding one, I oh, the treats one was good as well. The black pudding one was just it just went perfectly with the egg, and I mean the egg was runny still as well. It was, 
You know what? Should we stop talking about the Stockport game? Should we not talk about the Stockport game and talk about Scott Jags instead? Well, I can say, let's talk about, we should just talk about coping strategies after thrashings because one way I've coped with the Stockport game is watching the Sheffield United game and then feeling that <laughs> over the weekend we won 85 <laughs> on aggregate. <laughs> Do, do you know what, right? It's it's becoming a bit silly, this Sheffield United stuff, yes. isn't it? But yes. but what I will say is that they, ha, however much their fans try and frame it otherwise, they are punching down. Yeah. We're, we're three, four leagues below them. They have a player in Sanderberg. Is he still there? Or he was there last season. No, he left, doesn't he? But yeah. they, they have, they've had players that are worth £20 million plus and you could buy a whole cop stand for £20 million, roughly. So I don't think they've got any legs to stand on when they start banging on about, oh, stick that in your documentary and all that nonsense. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're loaded. Fun, but... They're an absolutely loaded club. <laughs> and then, you know, I mean, they're just taking their lead from Mr. Sharp, aren't they? Because he, his imaginary beef with us was that we are arrogant. We were three divisions below them. Well, why would we be arrogant? Ah, it's all nuts, isn't it? Tell you. Well, <laughs> he, he can't be the sharpest tool in the box because, hey. let's be fair. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, I, I didn't. I, I didn't even. I didn't even realize. Then I made. I made a pun. <laughs> but he. I think he hates Wrexham because of the Son photo. But that was taken way before <laughs> the the third round game was announced, wasn't it? So yeah. Anyway, enough of Billy Sharp and. After this, we're going to be talking about the Stockport game. I'm Gareth Owen, and this is Dragonheart. Well, to be honest, guys, I, the stock, this Stockport game for me is a really tough one to break down because I think it's just one of those crazy games that you have from time to time where you know where a good side can sort of slip and not only slip fall down a three story <laughs> slip off a building a three story building and land on your face cuz to come from that Grimsby game bill where i got to say it's probably the, one of the best displays this season to then re- having such a big hiccup at stockport bill what can you make of that game um, I don't know. It's a tough one, isn't it? I'm sure Phil Parkinson will be be racking his brains a little bit. You know, it, it the part of the the big disappointment for me was that we went in at three nil and came out at five nil. You know, and it it shows that sort of mistakes weren't really learned from at half time. Um, which I don't know, but I mean maybe that's a bit unfair on on. Parkinson and the players because we did look a little bit better in the final sort of 20 minutes or so but if you're going in at half time three or four down and then it stays three or four or it's four one you've at least sort of rectified it but I was a bit disappointed that we didn't come out and and, and give a bit of a better account of ourselves what do you think Mark? Um, I hadn't really looked at it that way and you're dead right yeah and um, we did improve in the second half but let's be honest when you're four nil up after 15 minutes you are going to take your foot off the pedal and think about the next game a little bit, aren't you? So, you know, that allows teams to come yeah. back in. Um, yeah, I think that's a very fair point. Uh, I felt a bit concerned because, like a, a, like I said at the time, the other two times you were letting five goals, I felt there were lots of different explanations and extenuating circumstances, whereas this one was 
we seem to have sorted all our problems now. We're settling into the groove. Oh, we've not turned up for a game, which is a little bit worrying. Mm. And, you know, I mean, maybe I've been taking a slightly optimistic view of things. But, yeah, that sentence I just said then, the other two times this season we've let in five goals, isn't really a sentence you want to be saying. So I'm not I'm not panicking at all. But I, I yeah, that was a bit of a concern because it took me a while to work out what I thought were the reasons for it. And it wasn't the same as not having enough free preseason minutes in your legs, having a keeper who by his own admission was maybe letting some goals in that he shouldn't have done. Not None of that applied this time. It was just, we turned up in form and got punched around a lot. I think in the first half, our so, defence froze like Che's picture has. I don't know whether he can hear us, but your picture's like completely yeah, I can, I can hear you. <laughs> he's, he's moving. I can he's hear moving. you. Uh, so, oh, Mark, uh, Mark uh, you, you have had to break it down with your Final mm. Whistle podcast. All, all good and bad <laughs> streaming platforms. Um, how do you break a game like that down, Mark? What What actually did go wrong in this game? Um, I feel there were quite a few things. I, I sort of said it was like a perfect storm, I think, didn't I? Of different things going wrong and all contributing and added to each other. And and I suppose before I try to be a bit more analytical than that, I will say, you know, football teams are units made up of people. People do make mistakes. People do get worried and start to do things they don't normally do. Um, and you know, all sorts of circumstances can add up to that. And sometimes you just get freak occurrences. But I would certainly say the first 20 minutes, I liked it. And we were mm-hmm. really clearly, well, we're stopping our centre-backs from bringing their ass by our strikers just not pressing too hard, but just being in their half and making sure they haven't got time to play a pass around. So we're forcing them to play to their full-backs and they like their full-backs to get forwards. But then what we were doing was our wing-backs were quite high up and when, it, when their full-back got it, the wing-back on that side would sprint 20 yards. It was something that was more obvious, you know, there at the great game than it probably was on the stream. So, I mean, especially Barnett was on my side, and that was when I started noticing it, because the moment the ball came to Toure, Barnett would just sprint 20 yards and be on him. And then Toure's got to pass it in, and they really could not get out their half. And at the first 20, I was so happy. But then I mentioned in the final whistle that, that their manager, Challoner, afterwards really went through it well, saying that they felt that they could knock balls over the top when we committed like that and exploit this place behind and that they fancied Olafe and Barry to run at our centre-backs. They fancied that they'd get the better of those sorts of contests. And boy, weren't they right, because those two were sensational. But yeah, the way that first goal came sort of summed up what was to come. Just bang, long ball from the keeper. Barnett tied up the pitch. Lee is back covering him. And Lee, I, I you know, I like, I love the way he has converted to a box-to-box midfielder, but his specialism is not tracking a bloke who's got clear around the back of a defence and stopping him. You know, that's not, it's a bit much to ask him to do that, maybe. Um, and so we were opened up. So yeah, I... I I think that was a big part of it. And then the other thing, which I know I've said before, and I'll say quickly, we just seem to let goals in at the sort of times that would demoralise you, the types of goals that would demoralise you, you know? Goal against the run of play when you're feeling control. Goal, which is a mistake by your reliable captain. 
another goal two minutes later while you're still reeling from that. You know what I mean? The types of goals that give you a punch in the guts. A goal mm. five minutes into the second half when you've spent half time reorganizing and saying, right, we are still in this, but we have to start well and bang, five minutes later, you let a goal in. Do you know what I mean? There's the sort of goals that, that knock mm. a team and make them wobble. It was just like a perfect storm of badness. A perfect well, plop storm. Bill, <laughs> but Bill, on on the flip side, then, you know, we haven't taken a drubbing like that in a long, long time. You know, I can't remember the last time we got we lost five nil. To be honest, um, how do we pick ourselves up? Is there any changes you make for crew? Uh, is is it? Did you just put it down to that was just a bad day at the office? You start the same team again come Saturday, or would you look, you know, maybe at changing things up? Well, I definitely, um, I'd be inclined, and i got to be careful here because I don't want to upset anyone or, or you know, maybe maybe with the interview that uh, Ben Toza was doing during the week, he's clearly having a really, really hard time of it, and it, it, if it's affecting his football, maybe he needs a bit of time off, but only the management ta- team uh, know whether it's good for him to still be playing or for him to have a little bit of a break. But, you know, the defence didn't look great and it's defensive areas that we probably need to maybe have a bit of a mix-up. So maybe, you know, Ben just might have a bit of time off or... I don't know, it's a very sensitive subject, so I don't know how you deal with that personally. But, it, you know, that's that's maybe one consideration. Um, and then yeah, I, just, I just don't think you could... I don't know what kind of message it sends out to play the exact same eleven again, but personally, of the maybe Bentoza, who is the obvious in quotation marks uh, choice for a change, I don't really know what you, what you do there. That was, it's almost as if it was it was, I don't know. You, you know that that defense has done has probably been our most successful defense this season. Then them three at the back. To see the way they, they controlled the game against Grimsby, you, you, it's just chalk and cheese, wasn't it? The two performances. Uh, I think if you didn't have the depth that we've got, if you would just decide that, um, you know, had a really strong first eleven and then and then some good subs or a strong fifteen and some good reserves, you'd probably be tempted to keep it. But we've got people who could be first team. So look, someone like Tunnicliffe could be a, a captain for somebody in League Two. He's that good. So if he's fit and ready, it's hard to say he doesn't come in. Same for O'Connell. Same for Anthony Ford. You know, so I'm I'm not really giving you an answer here, Jay, because I I'm I'm very glad yeah. I'm not Phil Parkinson at the moment. But <laughs> we've just got we've just got options to mix it up, haven't we? I I don't think we change formation like some people are, are talking about just because that shape is tried and tested and it's worked for us. And, and yeah, we've had some blips this year, but I I don't know. I think it needs a bit of time yet before we go that far, knee jerk, but maybe just mix it up uh, selection-wise. George Evans, I think, comes in in some position, whether that's in midfield or centre-back, I don't know, but I'd like to see him get a start now with his pedigree. I've got, I've got to say, yeah, I'm um, maybe looking at, a slightly different way and thinking about which players should come in as well. Mm. Although before I say that, I should say, I don't think he'll change that much. And I think maybe I agree with him. I, I'd see this a little bit as our 
um, Barnet moment like of last season where we realised we are being a bit too open and then just a little subtle alteration, which essentially was Tony Cliff came in for Cluith because Cluith has been asked to go up the pitch and he and McFadden were leaving the, the flank exposed, which I didn't blame them for. That was the way we were looking to play. But I think after the Barnet game, I think Parkson looked at it afresh and thought, all right, we probably should be doing that a bit differently and altered the balance more than wholesale changes. I think he'll do something like that. I'm not sure exactly what. I I, I'm, I agree you've got to be very careful with the Bentoza situation and respectful anyway. And, you know, I think it's now is the point where he feels able to talk about it. So I, I don't think we should necessarily link uh, Saturday to that myself. Oh, I would... No, of course. I, I, sorry, I should cut in. I don't, I don't want to appeal like... I, 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 anyone who's yeah. who, who seen my social media was seeing that I was defending Ben Tozer at the weekend. I, I highly rate him. He, he's, you know, he was just behind Mullen for player of the season last season and he deserves every single bit of, of regardless of personal life, even if he was just having a bit of a bad patch of form, he deserves every chance to reclaim his form. Uh, it was just, that was, that would be what would be the, like I said earlier, the obvious in quotation marks potential change, wouldn't it, with with yeah. things that have gone on? Sorry, sorry, Mark. Anyway, yeah, I don't know what there is because he's got the long throw on him. He's usually the solid bloke in the middle, not getting exposed to players with pace. Um, so I I don't know. I, I would also say I, I've been a little surprised before that story came out. I saw a lot of people sort of piling onto him a little bit with like, well, look at how he's been playing this season. I think he's been playing pretty well this season, especially the last couple of games. Yeah. I, I I think people reinvent history sometimes when something's gone wrong. He made a terrible mistake. There's no two ways about it. Um, but that happens to all of us sometimes. Even I, the greatest goalkeeper in the history of football, occasionally made errors. I know, it's hard <laughs> to believe, isn't it? Um, <laughs> but... I saw well, you make a lot of errors on commentary as well sometimes, don't you, man? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I want so to do we. You like you fitted yeah. in. Um... What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I, I just sort of think, look at players we could draft in rather than looking at players. Because most of these players, well, everyone underperformed, I thought, on Saturday. So I feel a bit wary of criticising mm. them because the Saturday before we were saying they're the best things in size bread. You know, we can't go from one to the other. But... What I would say is that James Jones had a superb start of the season and hasn't been on the squad for the last three matches, and so maybe he's due. I think you're right about George Evans. We brought him in to be a a, a high-quality, controlling defensive midfielder. Well, you know, we didn't give the back three that much protection then on Saturday, so maybe he should be in contention. Like I say, Tony Cliff and O'Connell are excellent professionals and excellent defenders. Ford is a fine player. Yeah, we've got a lot of options and interesting players that we maybe should look at. Um, but I, I don't think he'll change too much, personally. Uh, I think he'll make, make the odd alteration. And can I just say, stats time. Jay, you were saying, when have we last lost 5-0? I'll tell you when we last lost 5-0. Go on. It was... Oh, hang on. I've missed one now, haven't I? No, it wasn't. Um, February 2014, when... Billy Barr's first game as caretaker manager, we lost 5-0 at Luton. So we then waited eight years, and the next six times you're letting five goals have all been uh, this current team. Dover, which we won, 6-5. Grimsby, lost 4-5. Barnett, won 7-5. MK Dons, lost 3-5. Swindon, 5-all. And then last Saturday. 
Um, the last time we lost 5-0 at home, you'll both be delighted to hear, August 2007, Aston Villa. <laughs> I wouldn't say wow. delighted, Mark. <laughs> and then before that, we're going back to Accrington, the sort of disastrous game of 2006, when we went there and lost 5-0. And there's also, I've got to mention this one, just for the bizarre... The Tramio one. Uh, well, Tramio's... Yeah, yes, you're right. That was 2001. Yeah. And between right. those, there's a 6 nil at Bournemouth in 2004, which I'm sure you're aware, I feel like this is where Uncle Griff's bedtime story begins, is that we're losing 3 nil to Bournemouth with four minutes left. James Hayter comes on as a sub and scores the quickest hat-trick in the history of the Football League, still stands as the record. So he scored in the 86, 87, and 88 minutes. He scored a hat-trick in three minutes. Um, and the, the mad thing was that he comes from the Isle of Wight, and his parents were there to watch the game. And because he hadn't come off the bench, he didn't come off the bench till within the last 10 minutes. And so they decided he's not coming on, and they went and caught the early ferry home. So they missed his their son setting a football league record for the fastest ever hat trick because they wanted to get the ferry home. Wow. Oh, nightmare. <laughs> yeah, I know we've lost 5-0 before, but it's it's, it's 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 a long time ago, to be fair. True, yeah. But I think we've had enough of talk about Stockport now, <laughs> unless you two have got any other points. After this, we're going to talk about Mullins 100 appearances. I'm Mia Roberts, and this is Dragon Paul Mullen made his 100th appearance last Saturday against Stockport. Unfortunately, not the game that he or any Wrexham fan would have wanted. But the the impact this man's made on this club is, you know, it's not like any other player in my lifetime, I don't think. Um, Bill, just completely incredible as a player, as a person. The you know the the cult aspect to him, the way the fans adore him, he's just a phenomenon, isn't he? Yeah, we've we've had we've had many players since me and you've been going strikers particularly, who you know had that potential to go on and be absolute massive cult heroes. Um, Louis Malt, you know, if he'd have stayed at Wrexham, would have ended. He was he was a big cult hero anyway. But if he'd have stayed at Wrexham, he would have he would have made a huge name for himself. I, I think it'd be fair to say Andy Mangum was in that sort of mould, even though when he left, you know, he was very, very popular. I don't think he definitely didn't have the impact Mullin had, but, um, you know, he had that sort of relationship with the fans where he was very well liked until he went to Fleetwood. Uh, and, you know, there's the, it's it's not really been since Andy Morell's first, you know, first time in a Wrexham shirt that we've had a striker quite like him, really, is it, Mark? Oh no, not at all. I mean, he's he's remarkable, and it, it's so fortunate that a personality like him has come along when Welcome to Wrexham was come along. Oh, okay, let's be honest; the two things do go hand in hand. But you know, so he gets that recognition, and we see what he's like off the pitch more as well, and that really feeds into that whole cult hero thing, as you say. And, and like you said, we've had players who we've not been able to hold on to, like Molt or Ugarte who have had spectacular purple patches and mm. brilliant scoring seasons. But Mullen is really a phenomenon on and off the pitch. And uh, the most important thing is he's loving it. <laughs> he's, <laughs> like, you know, he's, he's enjoying his time with us, which is fantastic. 
it's a it's it's I, I it's think... a relate relationship that's sorry, Jay, it was a relationship that's perfect for the player and the club, isn't it? Really, I think. Yeah, exactly. So, and I think you've got you've got to say, you know, it, it as you say, it's the perfect cocktail of everything, isn't it? You know, him, the ownership, uh, the fans. He's literally the perfect player for this time. But you've also got to say. There is no chance on earth that we would have signed him if we didn't have this money in the takeover and the backing we had. And even if we did have him and we built him up as a player, say say hypothetically we signed him um, previously, they able to keep hold of him after one season. So, you know, a lot of it is sort of what's going on. You've got to give Rob and Ryan a lot of credit for keeping him. You know, we have renewed his contracts and what have you, since he's been playing with us. He's such a vital part of us, and the fans realise that, and the owners do, don't they, Mark? 100%. It's, it's, I mean, the, from the very start, Rob and Ryan have said it's about more than a football club. It's about a community. It's about people. And, well, I mean, last week's episodes that we talked about in Dragon House of Welcome to Wrexham, uh, you know, only endeared Mullen Moore to us all, and we just love them anyway. Um, but yeah, it's it's a fabulous phenomenon, and I think that's fair to say. Uh, you know, you, you were both saying about comparing him to other Wrexham players in the time you've watched Wrexham. I mean, going to the time I've watched Wrexham, there have been very few players like that since the 77-78 season, understandably, you know, because no, those these sort of players come along once or twice in a lifetime. And yeah, he's just had such a fabulous impact anyway, but then the stats are spectacular as well in terms of just his contribution to the team. Yeah, it's it's mad, isn't it? That I think I, I've said it a few times before, but the 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 impact Ronaldo and Messi have had on the way that people perceive the role of a striker, uh, and okay, no one's expecting anyone in our league to be the quality of Ronaldo and Messi. But they do sort of people do expect to be able to go and get a striker that has that level of goals per game for that division, don't they? And they mm. they don't they don't come. The only two that I've seen in in, in my time following Wrexham are probably Mullin and Langstaff and Notts County. They're the only ones who've, who've got that level of mm. finishing. Uh, yeah, so so he's he's a real gem. It's it's a indication of how we are well funded, and also and you know, sorry to bring this up, how well funded County are that both those players are still with these clubs. Yeah. Well-funded and, of course, fun project that you want to be a part of. But I've always felt when these rumours of of Mullen leaving circulate around, I'm not saying that Mullen can't leave. Obviously, he can. But A, it's going to cost somebody a lot of money. And B, there's an awful lot of stuff he'd have to throw away. You know, he's not just a player. He's a phenomenon. The fans Mm. worship him like a god. And I mean, where else are you going to get that? It's just, you know, it must be so wonderful for him. Plus, he's mates of Robin Ryan. Plus, he's a big star in a, in a massive international show. So, you know, where's his incentive to leave? If I'm not saying he wouldn't, but I would say, you know, teams are talking about like bottom half championship teams sniffing around him. Well, will he get that same buzz when he's a backup to player fighting for a place in the championship? You know what I mean? He's a start again. I think he'd have to be a much bigger team to and, to turn his heads from what we've got you off know, to offer to him. Yeah, and, and I think you know the 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 winners, and you know us losing Paul Mullen would be horrendous. Don't get me wrong, 
But if someone does come in for him, it's got to be an extraordinary offer. So again, yeah. it's kind of a win-win in some regard for Wrexham because yeah. we'll be able to be able to get somewhere, maybe two or three players of a high quality yeah. to replace him, which I know he's irreplaceable, but he's that good and he's worth that much to us that somewhat for him to for him to leave mm. it would have to be something extraordinary um bill is there anything you'd like to finish up on paul mullen oh no i just just add add to your point you know we've seen we've seen clubs that have influential players like you look at look at gareth bale at spurs um Grealish at Villa, Calvin Phillips at Leeds, you know, these players that galvanise uh, a, a fan base. And when they go, even even replacing them with three to, to five players just doesn't do the job. And I hope we never lose and we never lose Mullin because I just can't see unless we made mega money how, how you can replace that that kind of player, really. He's, he's, he's absolutely invaluable to us. And I said about the numbers before, if I just quickly go through them as well, after 100 games, the Wrexham player in our whole history with the most goals at that stage, always Tommy Bamford, 87 goals in his first 100 games. That's not bad, is it? Mullen, 79. And and frankly, it's an indication of how great he is. When you look at a lot of these records, these comparative records and things like game, goals per game, it's always Bamford first, Mullen second. I mean that's a and that in itself is an incredible compliment to Mullin. And then the next best after Mullin seventy nine is Burt Good playing before we joined the football league, um, who scored seventy four. Then you're down to Gary Bennett sixty eight, Jack Boothway in the fifties scored sixty four in his first hundred games. But it, it must be said that he um, had a phenomenal start to his career. So he was, you know, after about 10 games, he, he had about 15. Uh, you know, and then Mickey Medcar, 51. Players who we know were amazingly prolific, like Kevin Russell, 48. Dixie, 46. You know, so you know he scored 79. That's astounding. And here's a little final teaser for you, statistically. Fastest player to 100 goals in our history. Right? So there's only seven players that scored 100 goals for Wrexham in our whole history. Obviously, it's Bamford. 117 games now all right to score another 21 goals in his next 17 games does seem a bit far-fetched but actually last season he scored 17 in his last 17 games so we're enough of this uh injury who knows maybe we'd be thinking go on chase that record too wow well that's just cemented it mark Paul Mullin, legend. So after this, we're going to be looking forward to the crew game. I'm Luke Young, and this is Dragonheart. Well, huge game on Saturday, and I think... For the fans who were following Wrexham in the 90s, not so much me and Bill, when well, me, and, me and Bill have been following Wrexham since the 2000s, really. We haven't really had the chance to play crew. And and apart from the time we played him in a pre-season friendly, we must be in different leagues at different times or what have you. But, Mark, for a fan of uh, of Wrexham back then... Careful, man. <laughs> <laughs> how feisty and how... How big were the crew games? It's weird for me because, I mean, I would argue traditionally crew were a bottom of the fourth division team. 
You know, and when I was a kid, Crew, Rochdale, Hartlepool just always seemed to end up in the bottom four of the fourth division. They weren't much of a threat. You know, I mean, to be fair, we plummeted down there pretty quickly, but they tended to stay there. Tranmere were a bit as well. And they've all had real sort of transformations. And Crew and Tramia really did start in like the sort of 80, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, and I've said this before, that there's three of us just seem to head upwards and Stockport uh, at sort of the same time. So to be frank with you, when I first watched Action playing Crew in like the 80s, a nothing sort of game with a very small crowds. But as the sides, both both clubs started to improve, we had some good fun. I remember the season we went, hang on, was it the season we went up? No. I think it would have been the season Dixon McNeil got us into the playoffs in the 1980s. That would be 87, 88, something like that. I remember going to crew and it really did feel like a derby. And I was, for some reason, standing in the terrace. They gave Rex on the terrace down the side of the pitch behind the dugouts. And I remember spending the whole game right next to the dugout, listening to Dixon McNeil and George Shawell shouting at the players. And that was that was quite an enjoyable experience. It's one of the rare games from then. It's got footage as well, because um, it was on a Friday night for some reason. And the Saint and Greavesy, which was the big Saturday TV show of the time before you know the three o'clock kickoffs, for some reason filmed the goals. Um and I've got it. I've got it somewhere on my laptop. John Bowden, our captain, scored a nice free kick from outside the box, uh straight through their wall, which was terrible. And we drew to all. Um so yeah, they used to be quite low, low key a bit. I remember in one of the low key ones, this ridiculous situation where my hero Jim Steele gets the ball in the box, takes it on his chest. Crew player kicks him. Jim Steele says, "Oh, do you call that kicking me, sonny?" and just thrashes it into the net. And as we're all celebrating, the the fans and players realize, "Hang on, the ref's not giving a goal." He's given a penalty to Jim Steele. Now, as Michael Ress going to talk about advantage later, <laughs> I mean, this was definitely a situation for advantage. He's 10 yards out. The lads tried to kick him, and Jim Steele just ignored him and smashed it in. Why the heck did you give a penalty? And you think, oh, my God, we missed this. But um, fortunately, our captain then, Steve Charles, he was a really good sort of solid wide midfielder, but he, he popped up with goals, and he was really good for penalties. He took the penalty, and thank goodness he scored. So we weren't, you know, totally ripped off. But yeah, yeah, mm. um, it, it it grew, and the games got a lot more tasty as they went along. Um, I remember Boxing Day, which was absolutely freezing cold, when we won one nil. Gary Bennett used to love it at Crew because they really went after him. And as I said before, when you wound up Gary Bennett, he tended to play better. So the, the places where they, the home fans tried to rip into him would tend to be the places he scored goals from. And he, I'm sure he's got a hat-trick in a, in a one of the LDV Cup matches. We won 3-0 there. I'm sure he's got all three. And they were, like, abusing him. And it started going a bit quiet after he got his second. <laughs> was, nothing was happening by the third. But the one that really sticks in my head with Gary Bennett was a freezing cold boxing day when... Uh, Barry, I remember that we were the, Rex were defending the away end, and I was in the away end, and it just it was all just so open in front of me. They were they were putting us under pressure, and the ball bounced in front of Barry Jones in our penalty area, and he just smashed it up the pitch, and Gary Bennett sprinted onto it and volleyed it in, and it was just such a fantastic 
you know, it's route one goal, but it was something really sort of visceral and exciting about seeing us just smash it up the pitch, and he's there, bang, and he smashes it past the keeper. <laughs> oh, it was on a, on a cold Boxing Day that felt like the sort of football you should be playing, you know. And we won that game one nil. So yeah, I've seen us do well a few times in that era, but um, yeah, sort of, sort of a derby, but not as feisty as some, I would say. Really, I don't know. Well, it- it's it's a weird one because I, I suppose like our our auntie who always used to take us used to talk about crew but never was never really you know saying how much of a derby or whatever it was mm-hmm. not not that it was and then we we went to um so we played them in a, it's been that long since we've been in the same league as and we but we went to a preseason friendly it was actually on my birthday part of the reason we went is because my birthday is twenty eighth of July so the 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 chances of a game of football being on my birthday are yeah. incredibly slim. Uh, Obviously, with it being outside the season and in pre-seasons, always uh, here, there and everywhere, isn't it? Um, so we went on the train. Uh, you must have been, I think it was like my, my 21st or 22nd chase. So you would have been like 15, 16. So we weren't that like, yeah, you weren't that old, were you? We got off the train and anyone who knows crew, the, the, the ground is right next to the train station. But we went in the opposite direction just because we didn't really know where we were going. Gets up by a set of traffic lights. This bloke stops at the red light. Uh, and I thought he was like trying to tell us we were going the wrong way because he was sort of gesturing at us and saying something. Window comes down. He's like, oh, yeah, get back to Wales. You It's like, oh, all right. <laughs> happy birthday. Yeah, happy birthday. Yeah. He was absolutely frothing at the mouth, wasn't he, Chair? And I was like, I, I never, yeah. I, oh. you know, I knew it wasn't exactly the friendliest game in the world. I didn't expect that to happen, though. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah, but you, you forgot the best bit, Bill. He drove back that way, went back down on the roundabout, and followed us oh. all the way back, didn't he? Shouting at us <laughs> yeah. as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was bizarre, wasn't it? It was bizarre. You know, if we'd have been a big... <laughs> yeah, yeah. If we'd have been wearing like Stone Island jackets or something, you know, uh, maybe fair enough. But we just look like two like bit naive young lads wearing Wrexham tops, just trying to find the ground. <laughs> the ground. <laughs> well, Crew Football Club have one of the most depressing flags that they used to carry around of them, which said "Boarding Crew, Living Crew, Dying Crew." on it and they used to carry that round of them to games and I've got to say that is one of the most funny and depressing <laughs> flags I've ever seen in my life <laughs> <laughs> for those of you who are international fans yeah Crew's reputation isn't the most exciting although it does have history behind it uh, but the main thing Crew is known for is that it is you know, outside of really big cities, it's the big railway exchange in the country and loads of journeys change at crew. And if you're going south from Wrexham, the chances are you'll change at crew. Um, and yeah, that's sort of what it's known for. And the radio station actually is right next to the ground as well, isn't it? Which is quite handy. Um, but yeah, it's... <laughs> but when I used to... That Jim Steele game, when he scored and then didn't count... On the away end, the away end then was built. It was um, it was leftover. What's your well, sleepers from the railway lines, um, to give some shape to a big bank of cinders. It's a really old-fashioned football stand, a football wow. terrace, which actually oddly is better than than it was. I don't know if it's been changed yet, but what it used to be because the away terrace used to be really badly built after they knocked that 
rather rudimentary thing down. And it had like sort of paving slabs as the st- steps, and they were far too uh, long. So, you know, naturally, steps in a terrace should be fairly short so that they go up and the people behind you can see. But at crew, you could have like three or four rows of people all at the same height on the same piece of paving slab, and nobody could see anything. Bizarre. You know the urban myth about the Diva Stadium, Chester's ground, don't you? Apart from, well, it's not an urban myth that it's partly in Wales, because it is partly in Wales, but the the urban myth is that the away end, which I've never actually been in at Chester, um, you're not missing much, Mark. No, I can imagine that the terrace isn't right. The views aren't very good because it was built to have seats in it. And then they realised that if they put seats into it, they'd get kicked out of the football league because their capacity would be too small. But they already built the terrace, so they just had to not put seats in it. So it cost them money because they had loads of spare seats. And also the view isn't right because if you think about it, when you're sitting down, they give you a bit more leg room, don't they, than, than if you're standing up. So I, yeah. I don't know if that's true, but that's the that's the myth, and I like to believe it. I always, <laughs> I always, they probably wouldn't be allowed back in the football league as well because they build their ground out of Lego. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I mean when they built Lego it, land. so they were in the football league <laughs> when they built it, but they would have been expelled. Oh right, uh, because they were then, and I must say they've they've slackened off on this a bit now. But it used to be you must have a capacity of six thousand, and four thousand must be seated. But oh, wow. if they put the seats in behind the goal, they would have had a capacity of less than six thousand. So they had to they had to not install them. So that was while they were in the football league, when they built the diva in what the nineties. But yeah, they then realised they were going to get expelled, and they had to say, "All right, guys, that's a, that's a standing area now." <laughs> Great. Well, I, I I don't think Chess will have to worry about the football league's regulations and rules for a no. long, long, long time anyway. Oh, it's nice of you to, to spare them that worry. <laughs> anyway, we have our regular Mike the Ref segment where he's going to be talking about the advantage rule. So let's listen to that. Play on, play on. Sorry. Hello. This is Mike the Ref, 1971, Twitter, for Dragon Half, so follow hashtag on X, or formerly known as Twitter. Today we're going to look at Advantage, so I'll have a move around if I can. There we've got the goats, uh, looking intrigued. So, Advantage in football, what is it and when to play it? Advantage is what it is. Uh, it's where you gave the home team an advantage rather than give them a free kick. So advantage can be played for free kick offences, so that's any free kicks including offside, ball out of play, game must stop. So the referee will use their discretion to say having a having a free kick there is not an advantage, we will play on. So times where advantage will be played. For example, far in midfield, for example Luke Young is pulled a little bit, referee's going to give a free kick, ball bounces to Elliot Lee, plays it to Mullen who goes through on goal. That is an advantage, that is clear and obvious advantage. Uh, a few things with advantage, possession isn't always advantage. Uh, another example, same scenario, Luke Young gets pulled, as I move around, see the goats, Luke Young gets pulled, uh, 
over to Elliot Lee, but then Elliot Lee takes possession, got no outlet to pass to. Referee on that situation should give a free kick, even though Elliot Lee has the ball and has possession. Very funny to see the donkey. The, the referee should then give the free kick. Uh, so that is a simple basic scenario where advantage will or will not be played. A couple of other considerations. There's a uh, slight change to the laws of the game where you can get a caution stopping a promising attack. So for example, a situation where uh, Luke Young's through on a good promising attack, gets pulled down, the ball breaks from Luke Young to Mullin, who then takes a, a run on goal. Uh, advantage replayed, but the referee will not go back and caution that player, or yellow card that player for stopping a promising attack. Because the advantage has been played, they will argue how we could stop a promising attack. And now we, we're in with George. George is still under investigation for his tests and scans. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll update that later. We'll update that later. Uh, so that's the advantage. Offside is another time where you might see advantage played. Assistant referee will flag. Ball will go through to the goalkeeper. Goalkeeper will catch the ball. You'll see the referee just play on. Um, no need to stop the game, give the free kick. Uh, considerations referees give them the advantage. Control of the game is the main one, where a late challenge might come through. For example, use the Luke Young Garriott Lee example. Luke Young might get taken out, close to goal, ball might break, uh, players might be angry, start running towards it. Even though it's an advantage, referees would probably be expected to stop the game, give the free kick, and deal with the yellow red card in that situation. So uh, that would probably to do with a control of the game because if he didn't give the free kick and step in and take a sanction the, the game would probably lose control because the players would end up more or less brawling or fighting with each other so that is one one aspect where advantage will not be played another aspect similar situation uh, again Elliot leads through gets taken out ball bangs through to Mullin Mullin takes a run scores great advantage the referee can then go back and yellow card that player for the offence because it's not stopped the promise an attack um, called unsupported behaviour by a reckless challenge. The referee can still go back and caution, even send off the player if there's no risk to the control of the game. So that's a quick summary of advantage. The referee uh, also has the get out clause where they can play advantage, delay the whistle, and they've got two or three seconds to bring it back. They'll use this where uh, use the example, Eric Lee or Luke Young's foul, broken down, the ball goes through, there's no real advantage. The referee will go, okay, we'll have the free kick there. Uh, alternatively, the foul, the ball goes through, this time say uh, Palmer, two on goal, takes a shot at goal. Um, the referee will not bring that back because the, the teams there have had the advantage. So that's another consideration for bringing play back for two or three seconds. So lots of look at an advantage when the referee plays advantage there's lots and lots of considerations mainly match control is it an advantage and can i and if it's not what can i do to bring it back and they'll be looking there as it, if it's a referee in error or a player error, if it's a referee in error they'll bring it back to player error they'll let it go that's all right advantage now one more look at george get me out of the way he's going to wait a scan there he is, tucked into his breakfast. 
with Mick Dougal and Daisy behind him. So we'll update you on George. Again, that's a quick summary, five minutes or so on Advantage. I'm at the Ref1974, hashtag Wrexham, and this is for Dragonheart. I'm at the Ref, and this is Dragonheart. Well, we're nearly at the end of the show. It's been a cracking one. I've really enjoyed it, guys. It's been nice to be back on Dragonheart and back in my hosting chair with this great background of the Wrexham badge that's floating right behind me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, really looking forward to the game on Saturday. Bill, are you excited as well? It's nice to be playing teams like Crew again, isn't it? It is, yeah. You, you say again, and I don't think I've ever seen this play crew at home, so I'm excited for that. I think the, it might not have been the, the feistiest of derbies, but it, as you know, every team are coming to us really up for it, so it just adds that extra little bit of, of extra spice on top of it again, doesn't it? So, yeah, really looking forward to it. It'll be Mark, interesting. Be in the oh, yeah, yeah, in commentary. Um, yeah. I am a little bit... Well, no, I'm not... I am looking forward to it, but obviously it's an important test, isn't it? After what happened to us, we need to make sure that we're um that, that we're ready for that, don't we? You know, we so yeah. it, it's it's a big test in that regard. We it's still early in the season. There's certainly no point in worrying if we don't get the win, but it would be nice if we got it and rather wiped out the memory of what happens last Saturday, wouldn't it? Yeah, it certainly would be. And I think if we do get another bad loss. We people will be looking at our start of the season, you know, questionably. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm quite happy. I'm really happy with the start of the season. Last week was a blip, mm. and let's let's hope Saturday we can turn it around. I'm really confident we can. If you are not going to the ground to watch the game, you can. What if you're an overseas fan? You can listen to us and watch us watch the game on iFollow and listen to it. Or if you can't, if you're not unfortunate, you can listen to us on Rex and Player. Uh, also keep in contact with all the news and what have you is going on with the Re official Rex and AFC Twitter. This has been Che Long, Mark Griffiths, and whoa, whoa, Bill whoa. Long. Che! Uh, what? Uh, remember I had something to show you? Oh, I didn't, didn't realise you had to show me on the actual thing. Oh, I right, see. Okay, Mark's got something to show us. I thought you were going to show us after <laughs> the quickly <Yeah. laughs> so... pulls the right, okay, Max. Break. You're quite right. Well... Okay. When we got promoted, ran beer, bear, beer. Um, the man who proves that other podcasts are available. Uh, he <laughs> gave us an amazing beer, which we saved for when we get promoted. Now, let's be honest, we were playing the odds a little bit because we knew darn well we were likely to get promoted, so we'd be able to have this beer quite soon. But I, I, I've got to say, I apologize. I keep forgetting to say this because this happened in the summer, right? I saw a surprising thing on the shelf of a supermarket in Wrexham. Some actual Timmermans old goose. Now, we're not sponsored by them. I'm just saying that now that's your proper stuff, your proper Belgian weird stuff. Goose is a, a goose, rather, is a weird, weird, weird beer, but it's fabulous. People either love it or genuinely throw up afterwards. And it's it's made more like wine and it's it's sort of affected by the, the, the countryside and the different things that come floating in when it's stored in a huge vast a vat fermenting somewhere in a, a Belgian farmer's shed. 
and and it's 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 fine stuff, and it's one of the few beers that really does improve the longer you keep it. So I'm just saying, I hope we do get to drink it very soon. But I propose that as it's so weird to find it in a supermarket in Wrexham, I've never seen it in Wrexham uh, ever. Um, I'm going. I'm proposing that we keep this and it matures, and we have it the next time we get promoters, and that hopefully it'll be sooner rather than later, and it doesn't get to mature that much. Deal. Yeah. That sounds Deal. that sounds good to me. I should they also have been selling that in a certain supermarket close to my house for quite some time now. Oh well, in that case, I'll have it tonight. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> I, was, I was surprised, but fair enough. <laughs> oh, sorry, Mark. I, it's all right. Don't worry about it. I'm happy. I, 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 it looks like I'm the winner. Um, I, I should also mention, I, I, I forgot to do so, um, that I'll certainly be going along Saturday morning before the crew game because uh, Nicola Wharton has organised a fundraising walk around Ellesmere, the lake in Ellesmere. They've managed to get it opened all the way around, which is a very rare thing. So I'm certainly... I've never walked all the way around Ellesmere, and it's a beautiful lake. And it's, of course, in memory of her little boy, Aaron, who tragically had a brain tumour. Rob and Ryan and the club were very keen to give him a good time, and you'll see the publicity about that. But her charity, Aaron's Army, fundraisers for brain tumour research uh, subjects. I've, I've lost people to brain tumours as well, and it's a subject close to my heart. And although I'll have to leave fairly early, because... I probably have a commentary to do. Let's be honest, on Saturday, I'm certainly getting down there. So if anyone else wants to pop down there, I think it kicks off. I think it kicks off at 10 in the morning on Saturday. That is a really admirable uh, cause to follow. And a brilliant woman, Nicola, the things that she does. And so if anybody fancies popping along, by all means, say hello to me and Mrs. G. And uh, if you want to chat about football or cats, well, we're not going to say no. Brilliant. Brilliant, yeah. Definitely go check that out if you have time to. So, I will, again, do my finishing yes. speech. Yep, catch <laughs> Second time lucky, Jay. Come on, mate, you can do this. Second. I haven't done this in a while, so yeah. <laughs> you know, check out all the amazing stuff the AFC, on the AFC socials, AAA, everything. Yeah, this has been Jay Long, this has been Mark Griffiths, and this has been Bill Long, and this has been Dragonheart. I'm Steve Dale and this is Dragonheart.